Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. And we get the back view of him, and I mean, it's just a mega. 52 yards is a long shot. Uh, Magnum P.I., is what yeah. we named him. No idea. Just but, a magnet. Yeah, just a magnet. Come on, Cam, last year, we, we said probably 150, mid-150. Yeah. Same Doe from the morning come out with that nine-pointer. Here, here steps out this 90-inch eight-pointer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Ah. I'm like, okay, well, there's still a buck back there grunting. Yeah. And then out steps like another 90-inch eight-pointer. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. You're like. I'm like, deer, right there. Yeah, like And he's 30 already yards. 30 yards. Yeah. He he was literally five yards from the base of the tree. Could have been at a buck down at 140 in the afternoon, back there deep on public. Three does come out pretty early. It was like 245, 24 yards shot, sent the combat veteran. And I tell you what, man, dude, it just smoked. We always get so jacked up when the other person kills. It's just almost like we got it done. Yeah. And when you kill that doe, I was like, hell yeah, man. And we come down here to Missouri. My ass called me one more time. I'm like, is it a good buck? And he goes, yeah, real good, solid buck. I'm like, all right, boom. <laughs> and the deer just drops for sure. Super special to me. Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes hard as AF with the early season attack with Jake Bush. 
you guys don't know who Jake Bush is, he is an absolute stone-cold early season killer. Moved to Ohio, killed a buck his first year in, um, second day of season. Jumped that deer, went in there, and uh, put the pieces together, made it happen. A lot of tactic talk in this to how to get it done early season. Um, we dive into kind of a broad spectrum of what he does, and then we break down individual things that makes his success combine to the overall outcome. Um, a lot of, lot of good content in this. Um, early season is some place that me and homie struggle. We've killed a couple bucks there, but it's something that we want to get good at because who doesn't want to have a buck down the second yeah. <laughs> week in a season, like just chilling out there, feeling really good about it. And you're going into November with like high as hell because you got a buck down. But um, if there's a guy out there that knows how to get it done in October, it's Jake Bush. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, we're going to get into the people that make this possible. And then we're going to get into the show. We're going to start off with last breath, guys. The launch party is literally like in two freaking days. So if you're on the fence and you're like, man, I'm going to full send it, let us know. We'll bring tickets with us and we yeah. will get you in the show. Um Huge shout-out to all the people that are coming from hella far away. We're getting messages, sending tickets out to Virginia and Pennsylvania and Mississippi. Just insane that people were traveling that far to come to the show. But the amount of shit that they're giving away is ridiculous. Yeah, if you guys are not a part of the Last Breath Inner Circle on Facebook, um, yeah. hop in there. And uh, Cody and I can even approve you to get in there. And you guys can see some of the shit that they're going to give away. Uh, it's going to be one hell of a party. Yeah, I mean... A pirate suit, like oh yeah, dude. That's that's worth the drive. Like if you dude. won the pirate suit, you'd be driving home like, woo. You'd, probably, you'd be driving home even keel. Yeah, like, you'd, you'd, I, yeah. I didn't waste no gas. Didn't waste no gas, <laughs> no money. This has been legit. But yeah, just giving away an absolute ton of stuff. Um, like I said, that that last breath is just humbly giving out because people follow them and watch their content. So mm -hmm. pretty bad, pretty badass. All right, let's get into Exodus. What you got? Yes, this week for Exodus, we're going to talk about Velvet Fest, something that comes around every summer, and I look forward to it because we get to get cams out and get some, hopefully, some big bucks on cam. So this year, Exodus is really going to sweeten the pot for everybody here. So from July 21st through August 11th, they're going to have a lot of awesome prizes for everybody to get entered in on. All you got to do is use hashtag Velvet Fest on social media. And if you're also in the market for a trail camera, every single camera order, that's right, every single camera order comes with a random price card that you have to scratch off to reveal the prize. I've been told there's some big deals, so you guys aren't going to want to miss out on that. Every single order. And this is, this is awesome. To sweeten the pot even more, they have a limited edition hashtag Velvet Fest laser engraved camera. So if you are the lucky recipient of that camera, you're going to receive a $1,000 gift card to the Exodus store. Yeah, a $1,000 gift card to the store. So there's a lot going on here. Head over to their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com, and scoop you up a camera. Use the hashtag VelvetFest on your socials, and go ahead and scoop up a cam because these cameras are legit, and they are backed by a five-year no BS warranty. All right, you got the bow hunting league. Yes, uh, just to remind you guys, there's over 50,000 in prizes, and um, these guys just wrapped up a show in Alabama last weekend. Um, so if you guys got to go there and check them out. Um, this is also the, the biggest 
free, free bow hunting tournament out there. Um, totally free to get in there. All you got to do is go to bowhuntingleague.com and get your three-man team signed up. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of teams this year. Um, and just it's fun to see all the big bucks start to get slammed in there and get you motivated to, to get out. Tennessee Velvet's coming. Yeah, you get to see all <laughs> that that going on. But uh, you got next level this episode. Yeah, uh, some discussion has been brought up about the roasted soybean block. So I thought we'd just kind of do a nice highlight on it. Um, the roasted soybean block is a very high quality product. And it is very, it's put together very densely, so it's very compact, and it's going to withstand the weather out there. Um, we've had a lot of rain here in the summertime it's in Illinois, and um, this block is would hold up to the amount of rain that we've had. Um, I heard a story about a roasted soybean block getting rolled into a small creek, and it was still holding together. And then there was also another story where um, a block withstood five five to seven inches of rain in a very short period of time and it was still holding together so um if you guys want to check that out you can check that out at nextleveldeer.com yeah watch out for the coons yeah yeah the coons will jack that they do have a holder elevated holder for that also that i've seen that was pretty sweet so um this is something I've been wanting to shout out for about uh, probably 15 episodes, which doesn't seem like a lot, but 15 weeks is an ass load. Yeah. Um, the links to all the websites and everything that we cover in this intro, um, Last Breast YouTube channel links on there, Exodus, Bowhunting League, Next Level, Underwarmer, anybody that we cover here, it's all going to be in the description of the episode on whichever app platform you are listening on. And Y2LegacyPodcast.com um, on there if you want to pick up a shirt or a hat something sticker decal yeah got a little bit of stuff on there um if you want to check that out so now that i got that out of the way finally only get into the show weeks, only 15 weeks yeah we get into the show all right guys you guys are going to enjoy this get your pen out and uh learn how to kill that buck early season all right we got jake bush on tonight he's gracing us with his presence on the presence on the ride <laughs> home uh we appreciate you coming on man yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah, I reached out to you. Uh, an absolute killer early season, and we've killed a couple bucks early season, but that's something that we are lacking. It seems like so, especially this time of year. With it's like it's so crazy. I don't know if it's the same around you, but July Fourth hits, and it's like a different world for people that whitetail hunt. No one's thinking about whitetail like maybe ten percent, and then July Fourth hits, and then it's at least forty, at least forty or fifty percent. People are like, oh yeah. Deer season's coming. And, like, the hardcore guys are just, like, almost wide open. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm on the edge of being just full, full <laughs> bore right now. Are you there? Yeah, you there? Yeah, I watched for a second. <laughs> Can you hear us? Yeah, I got you. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. No problem. We know that you're driving through a rough patch here. We're going to get through it, though. But um, did you hear what I was saying about do you be an absolute stone cold killer for early season? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I got that part. And I heard you about the uh, July thing too, with everybody ramping it up and you know what it is. And at least around here in the bean fields, the giant bucks are out feeding early and you can drive around and find them. And it seems like everybody starts to get the itch, but yeah, the, the 10% or maybe even like the one or 2% of those guys, you know, it's, it's wide open full throttle all year round. And that's what, that's what really makes that early season game plan too. You know, we'll get into that a little bit more, but yeah, definitely. But just for the people that don't know, uh, 
you or haven't heard you on a podcast before, go ahead and give them a quick rundown of uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jake Bush. I am just pretty much all you guys listening to this show probably. Uh, I'm a whitetail addict. You know, I've been at it a long time. I I remember grabbing my dad and grandpa's bucks out of the back of trucks when I was two or three years old, and I, uh, I, I fell in love with it. It's something that I've just, you know, grown up around, and I've just evolved throughout the years into – really uh, a mobile hunter and a very aggressive mobile hunter. I, I consider myself extremely aggressive and um, you know, over time it's just evolved and got to the point where it is now. I uh, up and moved away from New York a couple of years ago to chase whitetails in Ohio on public land. And it really came down to the fact that I was, I was killing some really good bucks in New York, you know, four or five, six year old deer. And I was killing them early, you know, like a, a day or two in the season or three days in the season. And I just wanted to, I wanted to up my game. I wanted to go after some bigger deer. So I sold my house, quit my job, moved to Ohio on a whim. And here I am, man, chasing bucks. Nice, man. We've talked to a couple of people that just went full send on whitetail mm-hmm. like that. It's always epic just to think, man, I'm just going to sell everything, roll out, and just go somewhere where there's bigger deer. That's what everybody seems to do, though. It's pretty badass, man. Yeah, and the, yeah. the cool thing, the cool thing about it, too, is, you know, like I, I tell everybody that is on the fence because I talk to a lot of guys that are like, hey, you know, like I'm looking for that extra push to make that leap. And, you know, say you, you, you up and sell everything and you move and you change your life for it. Well, when you get to where you need to be, you just build that foundation back up around itself. But now it's built around whitetails. So, you know, my job's built around whitetails. My the, the location of my home is built around whitetails. Everything is revolves around that which makes it a lot easier yeah man if you can revolve everything around what you love that's that's the way to do it man the best way to live yeah that's the best way to live so when uh when does that season open up there in new york so uh new york it opens up it, it used to open up october 15th which is pretty late but in the last i'd say seven or eight years it's been october 1st it might even be 10 years now it's been a while but it's October 1st now, so I get another three or four days down in Ohio. You know, Ohio is like the last week of September. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Like the last Sunday in September is when it always opens. Yeah, we're in Illinois here, so it's the October 1st all the time. And uh, we're always like the the 28th of September, <laughs> set 27th, 28th, always a daylight shooter on mobile cam. <laughs> You're like, well, I missed him for the next week. Going into the food plot, we're always like, well, there they are every year. Perfect. So crazy what those, what three days it do to you. But um, you moved to Ohio. You had really good success in New York. You moved to Ohio right away. You started killing really nice bucks uh, first year down there. So um, definitely, I mean, you're changing kind of the completely different ground, completely different deer uh, on public and still getting it done. So we wanted to have you on. And just talk about your early season attack. What are you doing throughout your year going up to right now and then, you know, going into season? What is your game plan step by step for someone that says, man, maybe I got a week I can take early season, but I don't have any time in the rut or something like that. Something that's really got to roll the dice early and and try to make it happen. Yeah, 100%. So, um you know, I, I have a year long strategy, but I'll use the same strategy for this that I used when I moved down here. You know, I moved, I moved to Ohio June of 2019 with no previous experience on any of the public land here at all. And, uh, so for me, what I did is I I broke it down on maps, you know,
I've had a lot of guys argue this with me as well. They say, well, there's, there's bucks all over the hills and there is, but you can find ways to put yourself in better situations and up the odds around more mature bucks. For me, Windward ridges, you know, do bucks bet on the windward ridges? Absolutely. But the majority of big bucks bet on leeward ridges. So leeward ridge for really breaking it down basic is going to be any ridge that has the wind blowing over the top of it and then down that ridge. So say you have a ridge that runs east-west, the, that ridge where the wind blows from the west to the east. The bucks bet up there because they can not only smell the wind blowing down the ridge behind them, but they can smell the thermals rising and they have an elevation advantage as well. So they have a lot of things going for them. So what I, what I try to do is I break it down to the leeward side of all of these ridges. And then I try to find the ridges that have the most diverse habitat. I'm looking for clear cuts. I'm looking for ridges that have multiple points jutting out for different winds. And I'm trying to put those pieces together with destination food sources. You know, I'm looking for nearby ag fields on private. I'm looking for big oak flats. I'm looking for anything that can hold a mature buck in that area and preferably more than one. Once I locate those on a map, you know, I'll pick out, let's say I pick out 50 of those spots in a season. I'll go put boots on the ground in every one of those locations. And from that point, I'm, I'm really trying to fine tune it. You know, what's the sign in there? Is there big tracks? Is there ant cover? Is there low hunter pressure? Uh, what kind of food sources do I have? Where exactly are the beds at? You know, I find on a, on a year, I put 500 miles boots on the ground. I'm finding thousands of beds, but I'm filtering that down to the best 10 or 15 beds I can find and going from there. So I'll filter down all of these areas, you know, through scouting, through boots on the ground, and I'll filter it down to four or five spots I really want to focus on. What I'll do with those spots is I'll, I'll find the exact beds. I'll find the destination food source and I'll try to find like, I, I call them like uh, the, basically the first food source they get to. So they'll have a destination, which is the goal that they want to reach at the end of the night. But on the way there, what are they feeding on? Are they browsing on briar patches? Are they just milling around some, you know, undergrowth on the ground? Is there a white oak tree that's alone close to bedding? And what I try to do is I try to locate the food sources that are the closest to bedding. The ones that are within 150 yards of those beds are the important ones. You know, I hear all the time that a buck goes nocturnal on somebody, and I really don't believe in a nocturnal buck. Every buck is laying somewhere all day long. You just have to figure out how to get close enough, which brings up my other point as well. You know, I'll find a lot of really big bucks. I'm talking Boone and Crockett level bucks in Ohio that I can't hunt efficiently because they're in almost too perfect of a spot. So you need to find the dumber deer as well, the deer that have weaknesses in their setup, and then you can expose them as efficiently as possible. So I'll, I'll locate all of that. I'll put out trail cameras in that area. Um, what I'm generally trying to put trail cameras on is like a hub scrape. So down in the bottom of a lot of these ridges, if you have enough points that jut out in different directions, you will have a scrape down below, and that's for all the bucks that have been on those ridges to check on each other. It's a great spot to put a camera for intel. You know, I'll get a lot of inventory off those. I had the first camera I ever put out in Ohio was on a hub scrape. I checked it. I put it out in June. I checked it in July, and I had 14 bucks on that camera on public land. So it, they hold a ton of good deer. Once I do that, once I have that camera location nailed down, I have some other trails and food sources. I have cameras on those. It's really a matter of glassing that area and then waiting until 
mid-September to check those cameras and formulate a game plan early season for those bucks. So I'll filter through all the pictures I get on my cameras and I'll filter down specific wind for that day. So I'll get on like Wonderground. I'll start going through, you know, I got a picture of this 170 on public on this Northeast Ridge on a day that there was a Southwest wind. Well, bam, I know exactly where he's bedded. You know, oh, look, I had him on coming off this other ridge on this trail five days this summer. Oh, all of those days were a north wind. He's bedded on that side of that ridge on a north wind. You start putting all the pieces together. And when those pieces come together, you start really realizing how these bucks move, what their game plan is. And you can get in there and you can basically expose that weakness and kill them early season. When uh, when you're finding these beds, how far are they away from the destination food source um on average if you could make an average so it, up. yeah it, i got you it's very situational i find it's you know i have a couple different styles of big woods that i hunt i'll hunt very deep big woods where it's just you're relying on basically oak flats as destination food sources and then i also find a lot of public that's within let's say a mile of really good private ag and they'll travel up to a mile i've had them travel up to a mile to a destination food source. And you know, that, that really fools a lot of guys because they'll see a buck coming out in a field every night, right? Like, or they'll see him there in the morning. Well, how far is that deer really traveling? You know, if you're seeing him in daylight, he's probably not traveling far, but if you're getting him on your cameras on that food source at night, let's say 11 PM, he might've traveled a mile, a mile and a half already to get there. So it's, it's very situational. Ideally for me, I like the destination food source to be, it seems like most of my area is set up at least a quarter mile away from primary bedding. Yeah, that's something that we are figuring out too. The more we mature as hunting and the more intel we just collect as deer is in the past, I'm thinking there's no way this deer is going a mile a day to eat, but we see that all the time now, like ne- repeatedly. I would say now a mile almost seems like yeah, nothing mile, compared yeah. to what we know. A mile and a half, we'd see him just repeatedly go, we... We have, we see bucks go a mile and a half, hit a scrape, turn around and go back. Like, it's just crazy that these deer, we, for some reason in my mind, I'm like, why would they leave? Cause they got everything they need back here, but mm-hmm. they're just cruising around, probably bored like we are just, you know, <laughs> out there like, oh, let's go check out what's up here. It's dark. I'm safe. You know, but that's something I feel like a lot of people, like you said, they get a picture of a deer at, at night on the ag and then they hunt that ag thinking that they have a chance at this deer when more than likely they would never have that deer in daylight unless he's on a doe or something random happens, you know. But if they went in a quarter mile into the timber, they might be have that deer daylight every day, like you said. I don't really believe in a, a nocturnal buck either. Um, I've killed them directly out of their bed in October. Um, when I, I always striked on a cold front, though, or when a front was coming, when I went in on those beds. But we see we see bucks in October. It just seems like we can't ever get get on them and get close. And and I think that is probably because the lack of knowing where they're bedding, and and that's something that seems like you're keying on. So when you when you say you're picking out four or five spots, what is what's making you throw all those hundred different spots away and picking these four or five spots you're gonna really target? So. The, the number one thing is it's got to have multiple mature bucks in an area. 
you know, like I'm looking for areas that hold multiple four, five, six year old deer, six year old deer in that spot. And they also have to be killable. Like I said, I find a lot of spots that have a lot of good bucks or some really giant bucks, but it's like wide open timber and they bet up on top of a knoll and it would, it's going to be a lot more difficult to kill that deer. You know, I want something that's got a lot of cover. I want it to have very defined travel routes and uh, really just put myself in the best situation. Yeah, I think that's a super solid tactic. Just because we we seem to hunt deer that are like really hard to kill. We know that they're like roamers, and they travel a big corridor. Um, but we just get emotionally attached to them. And you're you're just going with the odds. You know, you're like, okay, good deer in here, but more than likely, I'm not going to be able to kill them. We need to find a different spot. Which is, I think, this year kind of going to be our tactics going in. Is yeah. like. Get a deer on cam, and, you know, we know about the next 24 to 28 hours, you're going to have another shot at him you because you know he's in the area. Yeah. And it's just hunting them odds, them better odds, more yeah. than just trying to be at the same place at the same time. I feel like someone sees one giant buck in an area, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the spot. But like you said, that deer could be seeing you walking in every time you're hunting and be gone, and you're wondering why you're never, never seeing that deer. So playing the odds in the, in your favor by just picking not only the biggest buck or the one you want after, but the most killable buck, I think is a super smart tactic, especially early season. I mean, you you have to hunt deer that are working, that mm-hmm. are doing the early season On your property, thing. like yeah. daylight on your property. Yeah. yeah, 100%. And they have to be, you have to be close to them. You know, that's the early October, the game is being close. All of my setups, I would say the... The absolute furthest that I would probably be from a deer early October, I don't like to put numbers on it, but I would say probably around 150 yards. But I really prefer to have locations that are thick enough that I can be within 60 to 80 yards of that bed when I'm setting up my stand. So it's all about being close. You know, I've killed my three biggest bucks to date were the first three days of season over 90 degrees. And the reason being is they, they got up and they only had to travel, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards max before I had an arrow in the side of them. And so that heat doesn't matter at that point. Nothing matters when you're that close, when you're right on top of them. So that's the other side of it. You have to really, if you want to, if you want to be really consistent early season, you have to put the work in to know where the beds are at and to know how to target those specific beds. Yeah. And someone listening to this might think, oh, there's no way you could get that close to a bed, but then we've done it mm-hmm. and we're not the sneakiest, most quietest hanging people out there, you know? And, and we've done it and got in the bed and you can hear the buck coughing. Like you're like, Oh yeah, he's in there. You know, he's just got to come this way. So you don't believe it, but then you do it like three, four times. You're like, Oh, it can be done. Like you said, you just have to have the right circumstances and, uh, you know, it's got to be thick enough. You got to have the wind. You got to have the access to get in there. But uh, that's like you said, you're super on the edge. You're super aggressive. And that's something we've been working on for the last three years. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say, to add to your point there, is one thing you're going to have in that early season is you're going to have that foliage to kind of knock down your noise. And then if you're hunting the wind like you probably should be, it's going to be blown away from that deer's bed. So that's even going to help you even more. And then if you just try to even be a little bit sneaky, 
which I know sometimes it's hard to do when you carry as much shit around as we do. Um, if you just try to be a little bit sneaky, you aren't really that loud. And next time you're out there in the timber or something, like go out there with a buddy or somebody and just have them like walk and look at how far away he is until you can't hear him anymore. I know a deer can hear a little yeah. better than we can, but still same thing. Like it's not very far until, uh, unless you step on like a giant stick, yeah, giant dead stick and then it cracks, you know, but for the most part, you're going to be in there and j- just be a little bit ninja and you can get pretty dang close. Yeah, you really can. And you know, it comes down to fine tuning your gear as well. You know, I'm, I'm really not much of a gear guy. I, I rely on, my my mental well-being you know my uh like what i bring to the table personally but as far as gear goes for me i'm I'm very particular about how good i am with my gear and how quiet my gear is i tape the crap out of absolutely everything i mean i literally stealth strip all my sticks my stand and everything to the point where you can't see them and i'll take a fillet knife for fish heat it up with a candle and cut like grooves in all the tape. So I have holes through my stand and sticks again. I mean, I'm, I, I tape my release. I tape my camera arm. Everything I have does not make a sound at all. And if it does, next time I go back to the house, I'm fixing it. And that's, you know, when you're that close, one pop, one squeak, one metal clank, anything, all that work you just did all summer, all that work you put into that hunt is, is junk is ruined. So you have to be perfect. And a lot of my setups, you know, like there's this craze out right now where I see it all the time on, on social media. And I really don't get involved with conversations on there about anything to do with this, but guys are like, Oh my like I can set up 20 feet high in 3.4 minutes. Like I'm, I'm flying up a tree. And I'm like, when I killed my 186 on public down here, I hung from the side of a tree for over an hour to hang my stand because I wouldn't hang, I wouldn't hang a stick and I wouldn't hang my stand until there was a really strong gust or in, until a squirrel chattered, uh, Jay sounded off. I was always looking for some sort of cover sound to cover me hanging that equipment. You know, like I'll, I'll sometimes I'll hang on the side of a tree on a lineman's rope for two hours to get set up. Generally, I'll go in with, with a plan that it's going to take me three hours to get set up. Then that's walking in and setting up. You know, the, for me, it's not about how fast I can do it. If I bump that deer, I have to be as quiet as possible to get up that tree. That's next level right there. But oh, yeah. when you're, when you're getting that close and you're hunting the caliber of deer that you are, that's what it takes, man. Like, and props to you for having that figured out and having the patience to do what it takes to get it done. Yeah. And it, that's the cool thing though, man. Like it doesn't, gear doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. It's all about how much time and effort you want to put into this, how hard you want to work and how particular you can be. You know, it's, it's a chess match. How good can you get the, how good can you get at that game of chess and how can you keep evolving to make yourself better? That's, that's all that really matters in this game at the end of the day. I would say we're kind of the same way. Like Cody just hung up a eight, nine year old bow. Um, the bow I had before my last bow, it was 10 years old. Like we just like the shit that works and we're comfortable with. And like you said, good with it. Yeah, yeah, that's ex- that's yeah. exactly it. You got to get good with your stuff that you got. You got to be really comfortable with it because it don't matter how much you like how how good you feel about it when you until you're in that moment. It's got to just be instinctual. Like mm-hmm. you just got to be like, okay, I've hung this stand 10, 20, 30, 40 times. I know exactly that I need to hold it three inches low, you know, and at this angle. 
And that's just stuff you, like you said, you just learn over doing it and putting the time in. And it's, it's really hard to go out there your first year mobile hunting and smash a buck. Like it's hard to have, I'm just going to start mobile hunting this year and go out there and, and kill, you know, cause like you said, setting up on them is half the battle trying to get in quiet, especially when you're getting that close. But, uh, going back to, you said that you're running a scrape in a bowl like that. Are you, are you finding a scrape that's already there? Are you doing any kind of mock scrape work or what are you doing there? So I'm looking for the, I call them community scrapes or hub scrapes. And what they are, what I find in hill country between New York and Ohio, mainly that's the two places I've really hunted a lot of hill country. And what I, what I find is, you know, say that you have a ridge, the main ridge system runs north, south, right? And then you say you have a bunch of like sub ridges that jut out to the east. And then those sub ridges have some ridges on them as well. What you want to get is like basically a bowl with a creek in it that's going to drain one way. So what you, I'm on the leeward side. So generally that creek is either going to run to the, let's say the northeast or the east or maybe even the north. But I want it to drain the way the wind's blowing so it can blow my scent out when I hunt it. If it's on the other side of the ridge system, you can go in there and there's going to be sign. There's going to be bucks over there. But if you're down in that hub and your wind's blowing from the west to the east, you're literally blowing your wind into your thermals, which is going to run up those hills and the bucks are going to smell you. So that's the, that's the first thing to get started. But back to the scrape, I'm looking for scrapes that are natural. And the reason that they're natural is because they're used year after year in those locations for big bucks to check in on the other bucks, you know, like, the majority of these hub scrapes I'm finding will be dug into the ground. It almost looks like somebody dug a hole underneath the licking branch. They'll always have a really defined licking branch and it will also show like a lot of seasonal wear from other years. So if you can, if you can put all that together and find a scrape like that in hill country, the bucks, it's not just a rut thing. It's not an early season thing. I'll have, you know, multiple mature bucks on those scrapes all year round. And people think I'm crazy, but I'll have bucks on those scrapes, hitting the scrapes in daylight until they drop their antlers in, you know, February, March, April, or whenever it is. And May comes around, they're starting to grow, and I already have those bucks on those scrapes again. And basically all the deer in that area at some point will hit that scrape, and you're going to have them on camera, and you're going to know exactly what's in there. Yeah, that's that's the point that I wanted to put across. I think mock scrapes are awesome, but we're walk along some field edges on public – and there'd be like 20 scrapes. And we're like, there's no way <laughs> someone's in here making hella mock scrapes. Yeah. And I feel like people make mock scrapes just to like, I don't know if they're trying to think they're pissing the deer off or what they're doing. But I think if you make a mock scrape, it needs to be for two reasons. You're trying to get intel over a broad area or you're trying to kill on the damn thing. One or the other. Like, hang, make a mock scrape, buy where you plan on hunting or buy an area, like you said, where you want to to get pictures but if there's already a scrape there nothing beats the real thing we're not huge scent guys either we know mm -hmm. we normally don't put any scent in anything we use um we just let the deer do that you know they've been doing it for years so we don't need to put anything sometimes we might pee in it every now and then yeah if we make a mock scrape to, you gotta go to light it up you know <laughs> but uh other than that we're just letting the deer do the work but i feel like that's something we see i don't know if that's something you see out there where people are just making mock scrapes because the industry has made stuff to make money off them or they think that it's going to change change the outlook of the season if they have four or five scrapes leading to their stand i, I don't know yeah and i i see it too and 
when you get in the right spot, you, you don't need to do that. I do have spots where I'll put out a mock scrape, but the only reason I'm doing it is, you know, my main cameras will be on those hub scrapes and every spot that I hunt in hill country has a hub scrape because I'm looking for uh, like a checklist of 10 items. Right. And if it doesn't check every one of those, it's like a secondary spot to me. I can put enough work in to find five of just slammer spots. But the reason that I put out some mock scrapes, the only reason for me is I'm really just trying to get the buck's attention to get them on camera. So I'll have a camera on like a, on like a, let's say a secondary trail from bedding to uh, windward Oak flat on the other side where I can see that he like jumps up over top of the saddle or he goes around like a hog's back. A lot of times, you know, if you don't have any way of catching their attention, you'll get like one picture of them or you get like a really bad like angle. The only reason I put up mock scrapes is so I can get him to stop and turn his head a little bit. And I, I really don't hunt over them because if I'm going to hunt over a scrape, I'm going to hunt over that hub scrape. I'm, I'm really just trying to figure out, is this buck a 140? Is he a 160? What What is he and is he worth pursuing or not? If that makes sense. Yeah, we do. We, we do the same thing. We run... We like to run cams on already scrapes that are there, but if we do have an area like the scrape tree, mm-hmm. there's normally a scrape there, but we normally there's normally a scrape that starts on the south side of the tree. We normally put one on the north side of the tree because our camera position gets better pictures from the north side. So we we run the camera there on the north because we ran the camera close to the scrape and we realized that last year we were using the scrape, the year that we did that. So we backed the camera off and more deer started using the scrape and now they hit both. So if they hit the south scrape, the shot's kind of quartering two also. And then if they circle around and hit the north scrape, then it's a it's a, like a twenty yard perfect, you know, broadside shot. So there's ways mock scapes are definitely awesome tools, but like you said, you just gotta use them. They you need to have them for a purpose, not just, oh hell, I'm gonna make a mock scrape, you yeah. know, over here. One thing that I think it really um, helps that is what Jake said is like that licking branch. Like when they pick out the spot for the scrape and it has a really good licking branch on it, there's going to be a lot of bucks that we've seen be on that scrape. And it's going to be usually a bigger, a bigger scrape, maybe even three, four feet wide. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely giant. We found two yeah. of them on the same bush last year. Absolutely giant yeah. scrapes. And like, you're just, we're just walking by, boom got our attention real quick, and then we had, like, a five-minute debate on what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So that licking branch, and just like you said, it, I feel like it's almost, when it's year after year, it's almost a little bit shorter than the rest of the branches from getting, you know, little twigs no snapped off here. Yeah. They're nibbling on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just slowly degrading a- after the years go by. Yeah, 100%. I, I find the exact same thing, and... The other thing I find too, you know, if you get out of hill country and you start getting into like, uh, not only farmland, but like a lot of swamps and marshes, I used to hunt quite a bit of swamp and marshland. A lot of times I would find just a licking branch. There wouldn't be, I mean, you might have like some little tiny scraping activity there, but it's not like one of the big slammer scrapes you find in hill country down here. So there it was more about finding the licking branches. You know, I would rather find a well-used like seasonal licking branch than a scrape that's the size of a of truck hood without a licking branch. Yeah, same here. Licking branches, that's where they're leaving all the scent. That's where mm. those does are going to check, the fawns are going to be there. Everybody's going to go to that and put a little scent on that on that scrape. So I'm 100% with you there. Is, 
you know, find the ones with a good licking branch. You can, you, and you can tell like in April, it's really hard to tell. Oh man, this scrape is really beat up last year. Cause it's stuff starting to grow back. Maybe there's leaves in it. You can tell that licking branch was rocked hard. Like we got oh, one yeah. on a cedar tree limb and like, they're like rubbing on the cedar tree limb and there's like no it's just a it's just a like a, <laughs> a like a vine looks yeah, like a yeah. vine because there's no it's one limb that it's on a cedar tree that looks like a vine because they've rubbed everything off of it and that's like that we're like okay this is and and every deer on that property goes to that scrape every one of them every deer we've ever had on that property been on that scrape every year so definitely like you said really solid place to to get intel yeah, I find the same thing. So we went through, you know, you're you're going in, you're getting as close as possible. You're making sure your stand is as silent as possible. You're hunting these hub scrapes. You're you're pinning it down to four or five beds in the area. So when are you planning the strike on these beds? Are you going off of the cams? Are you going off weather fronts? Or are you just going in saying, Hey, it's it's deer season. I'm I'm going in. So what what's your what's your plan there? So when I, I might've, might've mistaken just a little bit, like I'll have like four or five locations that have, I, you know, I call one of my spots, like a ridge system, like a, basically a hub system. So I'll find four or five of those. And each one of those will have like, you know, or it could be anywhere from one bed. That's just absolutely killer to 15 beds that are all good or like an entire bedding area. But, uh, so repeat that question one more time for me. What was the, what was the actual question there? The actual question was, once you find these areas and you're getting ready to strike, what is your key to say, Hey, I'm going in. Is it on the trail cams? Is it the weather? Is it the wind? You just go with where the wind was on that bed or are you going, Hey, it's October 3rd. The wind's right for this area. I'm going in. Like what's your go-to plan there? So it, it really depends on the wind first for me. And you know, like when I go into season last year, I had, on public down here, I had 15 bucks located on camera or glassing that were on public over 150. I had a couple in the sixties and I had one or two that were touching 170, maybe a little bit more than that. So I, I'll pick a deer or a couple of deer that I want to pursue, you know, like say I'll pick like, let's say the top two or three that I'm willing to hunt based on the conditions that I need. And then the number one condition hands down is wind. You know, if I think, there's a buck bedded on a northeast facing ridge that's very consistent that's going to come down to a white oak that has a scrape on it. I'm going to I'm going to hunt that spot because I think I can kill him. But if I have a buck that I know is bedded on a south facing ridge on north wind and I get a north wind that day and he's in like my top 3 or 4 bucks, I'm going to go in after him. You know, I'm trying to be really picky still, but I I have to hunt the conditions before I hunt the deer. I'm not trying to hunt one specific deer very often unless it's absolutely huge compared to everything else. So once I get the conditions that I need, really for me, it's a matter of I'll go back through my camera Intel on that spot. I'll try to figure out, you know, on a West wind, I had him on camera here, here and here, but on a South wind, I had him here, you know, on a, let's say a really sunny day. I had him coming off this bed, but on a cloudy day with the same wind, he came, from this direction twice and that could be because the thermal pole's different and he wants a different advantage that could be a lot of different factors but i'm trying to put everything in my head at least when i get in there 
And one thing I really try to do, I try to go in without a destination in mind. So obviously the, the absolute final destination for me on that spot is over top of his bed, but I'm going to go in until I find the sign that's close enough to that bed that I think I can kill him on. So, you know, I'll go in say I walk next to a bean field and I'm like, Oh man, there's three scrapes here that are wide open. They got hit last night, but his bed is another three quarters of a mile in. I'm going to keep walking. And a lot of times what I'll find, because I know where the bedding's at and I'm headed that direction, that sign gets better and better. And you start seeing rubs, you'll see another scrape, bam, you just saw a big track. And you know, if, if it is absolutely lights out and you know, you got some close beds, but you had another bed in mind, maybe you just hunt that spot that you have the hot sign because maybe for some reason he is bedded right there. But if you continue to find better sign as you go and you know that that's like the beds are back in that one ridge system i keep pushing in until i get to that you know i was talking about that secondary food source i keep going until i find that secondary food source and the hottest sign i can within like 100 yards of his bed and depending on cover i mean if i can get within 50 yards i'm getting within 50 yards i want to be as close to where in my head that deer is bedded on the hottest sign I can have. If I go in there and there's not hot sign, I'm going to just hunt the bed because I'm there. But you know, I'm not wasting my time in an area that really doesn't have sign unless I'm directly over top of a bed. I feel like that's one of our biggest struggles is the deciding to when to strike factor. Like there's always, ah man, but the wind could be a little better or it could be 10 degrees cooler or it could be this and it could be that. But I think with you having an area picked out with multiple bucks and not getting kind of emotionally attached to one deer that you're, if you do, if something does happen, you're like, well, I'll just roll off to this buck. So having those back burner bucks, I think is key. And that's something that we're going to do this year. We got, we are covering more ground to where if something does happen, where we bump a deer or something's messed up or the deer's just not there, we don't keep in going in and hunting them. We're going to make, make a plan to go somewhere else. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's, we're always deciding, is this the time to strike? You know, there's always that factor. So you're going off of, you know, if the conditions are right, you're going in there. If the conditions are right and the trail camera data is looking like you should be there and it's 90 degrees, you're going in there. Like for us, I don't think we would do that. You know what I mean? And, and he's killing and then, early and we're not. Yeah, so on, on the buck. Yeah. Like, on yeah. the buck. Yeah, yeah. He's going in there. It's 90 degrees and mm. he's killing. That's something that we wouldn't do. Yeah. So that's why we want to tra- have you on because people when people do stuff different than you and they're killing, that's when you learn. That's when you really start gaining. <laughs> and then like when Jake's talking, it's just like light bulb, light bulb, yeah. light bulb. Like, why, yeah. why, yeah. why? Yeah. You know. Yeah. But then like you talk to people and they're like, oh, it's October. Don't go there. You blow it out. Then the rest of your year's gone. Mm-hmm. You know. And they're like, yeah, you know, this guy's seen it. But then yeah. I mean, everybody's different everybody's got different shit going on everybody hunts different everybody's ground that they hunt is different mm-hmm. and the individual deer are different so you just got to play it best case scenario and like i said in the beginning the best odds you got to get it done yeah yeah and and the the big thing for me too is that aggressive mentality you like every, when i go in when i when i decide all of those things that we talked about a second ago and i determine like hey i'm going to kill that deer from that point on in my mind, and now granted, I'm disclaimer, I'm wrong, let's say 90% of the time, right? But in my mind, there is no doubt that I'm killing that deer that night. You know, I feel like I have, I like psych myself up almost, and that never goes away. I always have that feeling because I'm like calculating this in my head 
like I said, even though a lot of times I'm wrong, I go in there, I'm like, I'm killing this deer. I'm laser focused, man. I mean, I'm throwing milkweed the whole way in, making sure my thermals are right. I'm walking so slow. I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at for rubs, for scrapes, for a track somewhere, for any sign of that deer. I'm going in extremely calculated and I'm going in very aggressive. And, you know, I always ask people, like I, I grew up this way a little bit where I would, I had a lot of observation sets and I had a lot of waiting on deer. And I always like to ask people like, have you ever wasted time during a season basically observing or waiting on the deer to come to you? And I'm assuming your answer is yes. I know my answer is yes. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Now, now on the flip side of that, so you've wasted time where you really probably didn't have any valuable lessons from like certain sets because they were out of the game. Right. Yeah, they're out of the zone. That's, yeah. that's what we like to call it, man. Yeah. You're out the zone. You're not learning anything. Exactly. Now, have you ever had an aggressive hunt that you didn't learn something on? Mm, some, yeah. When we're in the zone, they, when we're in the zone, there's always something that goes out the hot corner. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, say that you say that you're aggressive and you screw it up, right? Like you get too close, or so your wind gets wrong. You just learn so much. That's how you're going to evolve as fast as possible by taking these leaps of faith, especially early season and going in to kill that deer. Because, you know, I've, I've done it for a long time now and I've screwed up so many hunts doing that, that I've learned so many things at like a very fast rate because I have those encounters and experiences, you know, like I, I, last year I screwed up on a Boone and Crockett buck on public twice, two separate times. And I didn't kill him last year, but you bet your ass. I know exactly where he's at. I know where he's batted on that land. And I'm going to do everything I can to kill that deer this year. And th that learning lesson I had last year might be the reason that he dies this year. And if I would have sat back on a field edge and never seen him, I wouldn't have that valuable lesson to go in there and kill him. That, yeah. That's probably the best thing I've heard in a while. Yeah. Like being aggressive and always learning something because you're, you're usually in the chips. You got, you got some action going on and whether whether something's winding you or you spook something or you see a small buck work through an area, you're in the zone where the deer are. You're not yeah. playing the edge where you might you're not going to ruin anything and you might get some action. You're going to be in the action if you're in there where they're at. Right. Playing and yeah. And so, you got a good chance of killing too. You know, you're yeah. no matter like it's it's all to me it's all pros. And that also comes from like the like the no fear of bumping deer. Yeah, I don't I don't care. Like I don't. If I bump a buck, I will go kill another buck. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, that's where we need to get. We're always yeah. afraid. We're always like, yeah. man, if it ain't the time to be in the zone, <laughs> it ain't the time to get in there tight and and be after them. And that's why. I mean, we're always on the edge of killing our target buck every year, like right on the edge. And if we would have been thirty more yards in the zone, dead deer, like thirty yards. That's that's the buffer that's killing us. We need to get 30 more yards yeah, aggressive. And it's literally <laughs> like, all right, do we push it and go to that tree, or do we just hang back here and hunt this tree? And it's literally that far yeah, of a decision. Yeah. like, Because we know we're in the zone, but it's just where's like, the kill tree yeah. is what is what we need to dial in. Yeah. We're 30 yards off dialing in the kill tree. Yeah. We need to go 30 yards further than we think we need to <laughs> yeah, every and, time. And push it. Just We're like, oh, it. this is where we need to set up 25 yards set up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 ex exactly. And, you know, if you, I think that the big thing too is like, and maybe you guys do, but it really helped me a lot is like, believe in yourself. Like when you guys go in, like you're going in to kill that deer, you're going to go kill that deer. 
whatever it takes, you're going to figure out how to put an arrow through that deer. And when you, when you have that mentality, there is no hanging back. You know, you're like, I'm going to figure out a way to get to that tree up there because that's where I'm going to kill that deer. You know, I'm going to be, I might be one stick high. I might be four sticks high. I might be laying in a freaking ditch, but that deer is going to die at that point. Yeah. That's, that's something that we, we, we don't say, do. we yeah. say, we say we, like whether we ride together or whether we show up at the parking lot together or at the driveway together, like, all right, act like you're killing tonight. And that, like, yeah. we say that almost every hunt. But then when we but see, when we, we act, see Magnum, we're like, ah, I don't know if that was him or not. You know what I mean? Like. You almost believe that that deer is unkillable, even though you're like, oh yeah, we're 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 in we're in him. Yeah, you're like ah, and then you see him the whole time he's out there. You're like, I'm not sure if that's him or not. <laughs> then you look you the whole time you look at you look back at the footage. You're like, yeah, that was him. <laughs> you just can't yeah, yeah, believe yeah. that that was him because you're like, okay, this deer's. Am, am I really in the doing the right shit? Like, am I really figuring yeah. this out? And that just goes off of years of doing it and. Just and like, realizing, hey, I'm, 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 and that's something we realized this off season. We're yeah. like, we know what the hell we're doing. We just need to be confident every time we. I hunt. would say, just like Jake said, have the confidence yeah. in yourself. And I think after last year, and just like you said, like that's we're yeah. we're getting there. Yeah, we know we need to be there. Yeah, we <laughs> know we can do it now. It's like before you're hunting this mythical creature. He's out there. You encountered him, and then you encounter him the next year. Like, if you encounter him once, okay, cool. But if you encounter him again the next year, like, you're you're getting on that, dude. You you know, we're building some confidence. And then this year, we feel the best ever. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're in the zone every time. <laughs> but, see, I knew I wanted to have you on because it would get us, get us thinking, man. We need, like you said, we have someone on that's aggressive, and we're like, all right, we got to be we more aggressive. We need to be aggressive. We need every to be time. more aggressive. Every hunt. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that, you know, if you look at like, I have my, my list of idols, right? Like let's like Dan Infall, uh, Andre and Cody DeQuisto, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, Greg Lissinger, you look at those guys and they're all the one key thing is their confidence and they're all very aggressive. And I think that that's a big part of that strategy that helps out a lot. Um, one thing I've done to kind of help that as well, that's kind of molded me a little bit. It was, at first it wasn't on purpose, but I realized what I was doing over time. And it's actually something that I do a little bit. So say that you find you guys are going to run a bunch of cameras, right? And say that you find like 15 bucks this year and you pick like the top five, right? And you're like, oh man, we'll kill any of these five or we'll kill these three. Go pick that seven or eight buck that you, you know, say you get a buck on a hub scrape like four or five times and you get the wind right. You get on underground. You're like, oh yeah, look at this. Like he was definitely bedded on that Northeast point because he was here on a Southwest wind. Like there's no doubt about it. And Oh, there's man, there's a white Oak down there, whatever it is, pick that number seven buck, go in there before season without equipment, obviously, but go kill that deer, go bump him out of his bed because you just, if you bump him out of his bed because you knew he was there, man, you could kill that deer. And that builds up so much confidence. You just put everything together. You went in there and you saw the deer jump out of his bed and run off. So if you wanted to, you could have killed him. You know what I mean? Like you can you can play this game outside yeah. of season. And That's a badass the, tactic. Yeah, build that confidence of like, okay, I'm putting the pieces together. I think this is right. Let's go test it. And then boom, you bump that deer, or you do find his bed looking fresh. You're like, shit, man, I was I was right. He was yeah. here, you know. And that, yeah, you had you yeah. had him. And and you know the, I've done that tactic on big bucks when I killed two years ago in Ohio. 
I bumped that deer out of his bed two weeks before I killed him. And when I bumped him, I mean, talk about the best intel. Like I look up a ridge and there's a big rub. I'm scouting mid-September, there's a big rub. And then there's a scrape and I start walking to the scrape and he jumps up out of his bed on the ridge and I glass him and he was like, oh my God. But I was like, you know what? I put all the pieces together. Southwest wind, he's here. He comes down, he hits this scrape, which is directly under a white oak tree. I was like, this deer is dead. Like if I get a Southwest wind the first couple of days of season, you bet your ass I'm sitting right here and I'm killing him. And the first day I got that wind, it was second day of season. I went in there and I killed him just like that. Crazy. Yeah. Love that video too, man. Mm -hmm. Awesome job. Watched that just here recently. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Well, man, I'm, Definitely, every episode I get more and more jacked. I know, yeah, I'm just ready to rip. This one here, man. I'm ready to rip. But man, we appreciate you coming on, spend some time with us tonight. Absolutely crushed this episode. Um, hopefully, got everybody else listening, just motivated and jacked to be more aggressive and get in there and, and kill that buck. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that is how you do it early season. Get in there, quick, effective, clean, kill, roll out, crack beers. October 4th. Like, that's the dream. That's where dreams are made right there. Did you, did you just call that? You just no, call it? No. You call it? Huh? I ain't calling huh? nothing early yeah, season. Oh, shit. You know what I'm going to call? Oh, I'm sweating right. my balls off <laughs> seeing that six pointer. Uh, crushing that. Ah, uh, bro, he's got to be an eight this year. Nah, he's, he's got to be a wide six. He's got good genes. He's got he's terrible genes. genes. He was Blew a fork and horn the year before. <laughs> he went to a six pointer. I don't know. We had two button bucks that year. He might have been one of the button bucks. I don't right think so. A nice solid six. Nope. Got to have faith. Be positive. Be positive. Be positive. Yeah. I like a good couple nuggets in here though, and um, Jake's a uh, pretty yeah. good. You know, going in, going in like you're gonna kill huge man going like you're gonna kill every episode or every every kill every episode that's exactly what we do kill this thing right to the grave none of the listeners are like all right this shit's over uh kill every time you go out to hunt you know go in like you're ready just absolutely stomps a buck you yeah, know nobody, and nobody's listening here so yeah no one's listening to this shit but wrap this up uh, the people that are listening to this, we love you we appreciate you listening tuning in to this every week season's coming people are starting to think about deer the velvet bucks are out eating the beans in the evening times. The trail cams are firing up. The mobile cams are starting to start dinging your phone soon. The, We're shooting the bows in the backyard. Yeah. Like, shit's getting crispy the, out the there. The deer talk is getting heated. Yeah, I it's mean, getting it's, slapping. Whoa. Shit is just out here getting <laughs> slapping. But like we always say, we love you. Uh, try to do the right thing and leave a legacy. And Whitetail Legacy is out. Until next week, when you're coming, you're coming. In our ear holes. <laughs> We're coming in your ear holes. We out. <laughs>that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors every monday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment